In the shadows of the 30th millennium, under the gaze of an ancient universe, the Emperor of Man willed humanity's ascension into the sprawling cosmic abyss. Galaxies trembled, their celestial bones echoing with the march of the Imperium's armies. An ethereal symphony of destruction echoed as world after world was drawn into the mighty edifice of the Imperium. Willingly or otherwise, each of these civilizations would be brought into compliance. Planets steeped in ages of isolation, blind to their terrestrial roots, found themselves ensnared in the onrushing tide of the Great Crusade. Many saw their ancestral bonds renewed and succumbed willingly to the sprawling embrace of the Imperium. Yet others cast a leery eye upon the Emperor's armies, their hearts dark with distrust and poisoned by the venomous seed of their own expansionist desires. Such defiance was met with the inescapable arm of the Emperor's judgment, his wrath embodied in the terrifying form of the Astartes. These bioengineered paragons of destruction towered over a regular man. Their ferocity and utter ruthlessness terrified even the most hardened warrior to their core. In the echoing silence of the Imperium, their names were whispered like sacred hymns. They are relentless, unstoppable, their purpose honed to a bloodied spear tip. The unification of mankind under the Imperial banner. They were the galaxy's terrible angels, giants clad in ceramite and adamantine, unstoppable and unyielding in their divine mandate. Most mortals would never encounter an Astartes, but those who did were seldom destined for a long existence. But even the brightest flames must flicker. As the fury of the Great Crusade dwindled into its twilight hours, the Emperor, his visage a mask of inscrutable intent, withdrew to the sanctity of terror. An enigmatic shroud enveloped him as his attentions turned to a project of such secrecy, not even his cherished sons, the Primarchs, were afforded a glimpse into its depths. With the Emperor's gaze turned inwards, his once omniscient guidance was missed. The administrative reins fell into the hands of the Council of Terror, bureaucrats who tried in vain to mimic the virtuoso, but they were mere mortals, susceptible to the worst of human follies, greed and corruption, inept in curbing humanity's inherent shortcomings. The grand orchestra of the Great Crusade that once roared across the universe dwindled to a melancholic melody. Yet, the universe abhors a vacuum. In the Emperor's absence, a figure had to rise, a leader to stoke the embers of the Great Crusade. Horus, the favored son, one of the first among the Primarchs to be reunited with his father, was chosen. Upon him was bestowed the title of War Master, a mantle of colossal expectations. This title, a double-edged sword of power and responsibility, now lay in Horus's grip, the fate of the entire Imperium held in balance. In the gloaming hours of the 30th millennium, the stage was set for the dramatic acts that would echo through the eons to come. Two centuries had passed since the genesis of the Great Crusade. Horus, the newly anointed War Master, felt the tendrils of change stirring in his heart. Fresh from their savage victory over the loathsome green tide of orcs at Ulanor, the Lunar Wolves stood poised on the precipice of a new epoch. Theirs was an existence spent in the gore-soaked trenches of brutal war, a crucible that forged them into the Emperor's most fearsome instrument. But Horus sensed the dawning of a new era, one pregnant with opportunity and fraught with peril. Little did he realize that the transformation he yearned for 
was a harbinger of unimaginable tragedy, a turning point that would catapult the Astartes into an age of eternal night. The unpredictable tempests of the warp hurled the 63rd expedition on an unforeseen trajectory. Some whispered that this was the malevolent machinations of chaos, others dismissed it as mere cosmic chance. On arrival, they found themselves facing an isolated empire, ruled by a man who claimed himself Emperor of Mankind, the ruler of nine defiant worlds. This false emperor, his lineage rooted in the Age of Strife, had safeguarded humanity's flame against the storm-tossed darkness of the warp. His eyes gleamed with dreams of a unified human empire, reaching out to the stars under his leadership. But his hubris and utter ignorance of what was about to bestow upon him proved his undoing. When Horus's emissaries, Astartes' diplomats clad in ceramite, were butchered in the false emperor's palace, the Warmaster's heart sank in anguish. Among the slain was Serjanus, a trusted confidant and a valued voice on Horus's war council. The sting of his death cut deeper, for he was not merely a warrior, he was a son, a creation born of Horus's own genetic legacy. Yet a spark of restraint flickered in the heart of the Warmaster. Known for favoring diplomacy's olive branch as much as war's flaming sword, Horus resolved to grant the false emperor one last chance for peaceful surrender. Despite the corrosive pain of loss, the Warmaster delivered an ultimatum to the pretender, this time with the implied threat of a clenched fist behind the extended hand. But the Emperor was resolute in his defiance. There would be no parley, only unconditional submission. Thus, 600 Imperial warships plunged from the heavens. No more negotiations, no more compromises. The Pretender's empire was to be purged in purifying fire. The Lunar Wolves fought with a vengeance, their fury echoing through the besieged palace, their wrath a response to their fallen brothers. Each inch of their advance was bought with the lives of the Pretender's elite guard, shrouded in stealth fields and armed with arcane weapons that could pierce even the Astartes' formidable power armor. They fought with a ferocity only bred in the crucible of war, ascending towards the throne room. The enemy was formidable, wielding arcane weapons that threatened even Astartes' armor. As the Lunar Wolves breached the throne room, a cataclysmic weapon was unleashed, tossing them about like leaves in a storm. The scene was one of chaos and death, warriors crushed beneath their own armor, lives snuffed out in shattered glass and pools of blood. Yet when all hope seemed lost, a piercing light cleaved the gloom. In a flare of teleportation energy, Horus appeared, his towering figure silhouetted against the radiant warp light. His bolter roared, punching a hole through the false emperor and his golden throne. Horus, resplendent and majestic, stood amidst the chaos, a titan amongst men. Smoke curling from the smoldering corpse, he bellowed his proclamation to the heavens, and so will I deal with all tyrants. Another failed attempt at a peaceful resolution weighed heavy on the war master. The burden of his calling bestowed upon him by the Emperor insinuated itself into Horus like a blackened vine. It twisted and coiled, a serpent in his mind, quietly strangling the unblemished loyalty he once held. A seed of doubt was planted, whispered into the fertile darkness of his thoughts by the merest suggestion of the impossible. Only the Emperor could broker peace, while he, the mighty Horus, was bound to the bloody drumbeat of war. 
This insidious seed sprouted, nourished by his desperate hunger to equal the Emperor, blinding him with a raw, gnawing obsession. It was a creeping poison, a malignant growth that spread its tendrils through his spirit, which would eventually seduce him onto a path of irrevocable damnation. The War Master had his secrets, his unseen vulnerabilities hidden beneath a facade of steely command. Only a select few were allowed past this barrier. His Mournival, a small council of veteran Astartes, served as his closest confidants, advisors and mirrors to his own tumultuous thoughts. However, a schism was starting to spiderweb its way through the once solid foundations of the Mournival. Horus, striving to decipher the Emperor's will towards peace, was beginning to paint with broader, more complicated strokes. A few among his trusted council, however, rebuffed this change. The pushback twisted the air with tension, sparking fierce disputes that etched lines of resentment on the face of their unity. The War Master's tolerance had its limits. He bore his fangs, reminding the Mournival that he was the appointed executor of the Emperor's will. His word was law, his decisions final. But tensions had risen and with it the beginnings of a fragmentation of the Mournival. These would not be the only tensions that Horus must contend with. The Primarchs, demigods wrought from the Emperor's own flesh, bore the complex ties of siblinghood, a maelstrom of rivalry, envy, affection, and deep-rooted love. Horus and Sanguinius, the Lord of the Blood Angels, shared a bond forged in the crucible of battle and camaraderie. It was a relationship of mutual respect, a playful dance tempered by solemn gravity when the situation demanded. Sanguinius, beloved by the stars themselves, emanated kindness and charisma, standing as a beacon amidst the cosmos as the head of the Ninth Legion. Sanguinius counseled his brother. He saw the fractures amongst the Primarchs, a chasm that Horus must bridge. Dissent and rivalry, he warned, could not be allowed to fester. Horus, however, roared against this counsel. There were those of his brothers he confided in and trusted, he exclaimed, such as Dawn and Gilliman, both military geniuses. Indeed, Rogel Dawn was perhaps the most finest military mind of all the Primarchs, and where Dawn was reserved and resolute, Horus, who was flamboyant and charismatic. It was said that Dawn was the unmovable object, and Horus was the unstoppable force. But becoming Warmaster had sowed discontent among the brothers, especially from those who felt it should be theirs, Angron was unhappy and jealous. Russ and Lion were cynical but resolved, and Fulgrim's unabashed arrogance was teetering on insolence that mocked the unity they stood for. But Sanguinius persisted, his words carrying a soft insistence that masked their steel. He implored Horus to accept the Emperor's gift, to announce the Lunar Wolves as the Sons of Horus, and thereby reveal the trust and power granted to them by the Emperor himself, and soothe the concerns of his brothers. In the long shadow of history, Horus, the ill-fated Warmaster, was often seen merely as a brute, a warrior, a hulking spectre of war. Yet this understanding shrouded the truth in a veil of ignorance. Horus was not simply a pawn of chaos, but a grand chess master, a virtuoso of the political grand stage, he bore not just the steel of a warrior, but the guile of a seasoned politician, the introspection of a philosopher at war with himself, and the persuasive allure of a diplomat. 
When the time came to admonish his fellow legions, he did not wield his fist, but turned instead to his most cunning weapon, the Mournival. Like hounds, they were unleashed, their snarls echoing the discord that Horus intended to knit into unity under his own shadowed banner. The grand theater of war played out, a maddening pantomime that veiled Horus's machinations, even as scorn simmered for his counsel. The aftermath of a war, bloody and grueling, had etched itself into the steel of Horus's resolve. Across two embattled planets, his war machine had roared, leaving naught but ashes in its wake. It was here, amid the aftermath, that the War Master found an opportunity for redemption. A phoenix rising from the ruins, cloaked in the majesty of a newly discovered empire, the Interrex. They were an empire gleaming like a rare jewel amidst the infinite expanse of space, were his chance to clasp the elusive hand of redemption. The Interrex were a grand spectacle of civilization, their societies shimmering with advanced technology, as majestic and graceful as the soaring spires that pierced their skies. Yet beneath this veneer of civilization, the Interrex harbored a deep-seated paranoia, their suspicion wound tight around their every action. Horus's diplomatic envoy was met with the cold, silent indifference of stagnation, the Interrex stalling, a creeping dread coiling its way through their dealings. The Interrex bore the gene seed of terror, a shared ancestry that tethered them to the same hallowed ground as the Imperium. They held terror in a sort of awe, a reverence that could be a bridge to bond them with Horus's relentless expeditionary force. Yet, trepidation clung to their hearts. How could they trust one who bore the title of War Master? A title that rumbled with the thunder of war, a stark antithesis to the tranquil philosophy of the Interrex. The veneer of peace began to crack, as sinister undercurrents stirred beneath the surface. Uncertainty rippled through the ranks, the coming storm brewing in the hearts of warriors and diplomats alike. For even amid the triumphant fanfare of discovery, the shadow of the War Master loomed large, casting a pall of fear and doubt over the promised unity of the New Age. At the onset of their dealings with the Interax, discordant voices close to the War Master called for war. Their tolerance for the Xenos engendered a chilling horror within the War Council. Horus, ever the Stoic, eased his council's fears. His voice, steady amidst the rising tensions, decreed that the Interact should not and will not be subjugated. A steely resolve flashed in his lupine eyes, a refusal to repeat the mistakes of the past. He reminded his council of the two centuries that had passed since the height of the Civil War, and that violence was no longer their only recourse. He would not succumb to the ruthless dictates of an ideological creed others believed the Emperor set. In the shadows of the strategy room, Horus found solace with his confidence. There was Loken, a loyalist in temperament and conviction, and Sanguinius, his angelic brother who could be said to be his most trusted confidant. In a rare moment of vulnerability, Horus opened his heart and spoke of a fond memory of his time with his father, the Emperor. His words weaving an image of an ancient Terran astrological book, a gift from his father. The tome catalogued celestial zodiacs, each a symbol of humanity's ambition, determination and strength. I told him I liked them all, Horus recounted, his voice echoing in the chamber. Each one represented a different aspect I admired. His father had prophesied that the twenty primarchs would exemplify the twenty zodiacs, and Horus would be the sagittary, 
the warlike horseman. It was a figure revered in ancient Terran mythology, unyielding and resilient. As he considered his path, Horus gazed at his ring, an artifact from the time of the Emperor's birth, adorned with the Sagittary. His destiny was clear. In the Emperor's absence, he would guide the Astartes and the Imperium. This story is an important tale in the annals of the heresy, but one often overlooked, for it tells us of a man, well-rounded, full of ambition and desires to better himself and serve his father. And yet, the cruel mistress of destiny would overshadow the man and set him on the path of destruction and inner turmoil. He was the chosen one, a destiny written in the stars, yet he was deeply insecure that he shoulder such a burden. As the crusade neared its conclusion, the mantle of leadership weighed heavily upon his soul. In a rare moment of self-disclosure, he mused, speaking with agonized vulnerability. I am war master because the emperor was busy. He had more important work than the crusade. He believed the time had come to pass the work onto the primarchs. So he may do some unknown work he won't tell me, he hasn't told anyone. He did not want to burden me but I'm no fool, I can speculate. The Imperium needs the warp as its lifeblood. I believe he is unlocking the secrets and mastery of the warp, for without it we will fall. The final meeting with the Interex, designed to forge an alliance, instead became the opening act for the heresy. Horus, flanked by his Mournival council members and personal bodyguards, met the Interax for the final time to broker a peace. Yet, an undercurrent of suspicion and fear permeated the meeting. They harbored deep-rooted paranoia about chaos infiltrating their society, and to them, the Warmaster was a mirror reflection to all they understood about chaos. During negotiations, the flames of suspicion were fanned when a dangerous weapon of chaos was stolen from their Hall of Devices. Despite their paranoia, the Interex's warriors were honorable, demanding the Astartes' disarmament. But the Astartes, with their war master on the planet, would not yield. The venerated bodyguards of Horus, alongside the steadfast Astartes warriors, tore through the Interex ranks, carving a path towards their commander. There they found him, attired in the humble garb of diplomacy, white robes and deprived of weapons and armor. He barked orders at his guards, a tempest of resolve and determination. Yet even in the thick of the melee, he sought answers, the unraveling of this tapestry of betrayal. In the smoldering ruins of the Hall of Devices, the Interax's accusations hung heavy in the air. What has happened here to cause such sudden offense? He questioned, his voice echoing in the chaos. The truth was revealed in the words of the dying guardian to the Hall of Devices. The weapon had been stolen, and they were the culprits. Horus gazed upon the devastation and recognized the precipice they now teetered on, a chasm of inevitable war. Horus screamed into the sky, Why have you tasked me with this, father? It is too hard, too much to do alone. He lamented into the inky void, a mournful aria echoing amidst the chaos. In the heart of battle, the line between the Emperor's son and the Warmaster blurred. In that moment, an arrow buried itself into his bicep, and an Astarte's son fell before him. He was jolted back to the raw reality of the moment. Picking up a fallen Astarte's weapon, he growled, If they are to fear us, let us give them a good reason. Illuminate them!
The day bore witness to the fury of the Warmaster, a tempest unmatched. He claimed his destiny, his title, with an unwavering resolve that echoed across the cosmos. His lunar wolves, his sons, would now bear a new title, one that would etch their deeds across the annals of time, the Sons of Horus. Yet even amidst his triumph, the gnawing roots of distrust and paranoia began to claw their way into his heart. Chaos, like an insidious plague, had already seeped into the Astartes, and it was only a matter of time before its malevolent grasp ensnared the Warmaster himself, threatening to crumble the Imperium from within. In the coming decades, the imminent fall of the Warmaster would bring the Imperium to its knees and tear the Astartes Legion asunder. To be continued.